Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. It's, uh, it's been a few months since I've had the opportunity to share God's Word with you, and I'm thankful to be able to preach this morning and bring His Word to you. Um, I wasn't on an extended vacation or anything like that, and it wasn't uh, because Pastor Dave was tired of hearing me preach, at least I hope not. Um, if you didn't know, we welcomed our first child to our family. Oh, there is my daughter, Charlie. Uh, she's born on March 28th, 9 pounds, 6 ounces, so pray for my wife, um, she is now, she's now 11 pounds already. So, uh, yeah, as you can tell, it runs in the family. So we're excited. Uh, we're excited to have her and, uh, we thank you for your support. Um, uh, so if I seem a little bit tired this morning, you know why, uh, if you've been there, you, you get it. Um, things in our house has changed a lot since Charlie arrived. Uh, evenings are a lot more wound down, a lot more quiet, at least for a little while. Um, we're more sensitive about our time how loud we are, what we're planning on doing with our free time. We can't just get up and go um, like we used to. Uh, not to mention, we have two dogs and a cat. And so uh, you can guess that there are some times in my house that's a bit chaotic and a bit loud, but I wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, we often refer to our dogs as our home alarm system. Uh, some of you guys have, you know, the ring doorbells and the new gadgets and things. We have those things too, but nothing beats the rapid response team of my two dogs um, whether it's a pizza delivery or a family member coming to visit or a suspicious plastic bag blowing down the driveway, um, we are notified immediately um, when something is going on outside. You know, sometimes that bothers me. Sometimes it's annoying. Uh, but sometimes it's nice for them to, to sound the alarm, you know, especially when my mother-in-law is coming. I mean, sorry. Uh, you know, when it's something worth knowing about, it, it, it's not that bad. Have you ever wished that someone would sound the alarm in your life or in someone you care about's life? I think one of the hardest things for us to watch is someone you care about making destructive choices. You have that family member with a drinking problem and you've seen them hit rock bottom over and over again. And they go, you know, I'm 30, years, 30, uh, 30 days sober. This is so great. And then all of a sudden something happens in their life. The crisis comes, the situation comes, and they fall back off the wagon again. And or they go away to rehab, and this is it. This is going to fix everything. I'm going to do better. It's going to be great. They come back, and everything seems to be great for a couple of weeks, and then it falls apart again. You show up at the family gathering, and they're the one with the cocktail in their hand, even though they're saying they're trying to work on their drinking. They're the one that you're trying to plead with and talk with and, and, and just share with, you know, this is going to affect your family. This is going to affect your career. This is going to affect your life. And sometimes it feels that you're shouting or you're sounding the alarm, and yet they don't hear it. See, we've been studying through the book of Galatians in our series, Be Free, and this is the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia. And in this series, we've begun discovering the power in being free, what it means to actually live out the gospel in our lives and experience the freedom 
that only Jesus can give us. But if you've been with us, you know that Paul has been dealing with some issues with the Galatians. In fact, it's begun to feel like the Galatians are that family member that Paul keeps trying to tell to get their act together. Paul is sounding the alarm that the version of the gospel that the Galatians are beginning to believe isn't actually the gospel at all. Paul is concerned that they're beginning to add to the gospel, that they're operating in a Jesus plus the law lifestyle, that the gospel in itself is not sufficient, so they must add rules and regulations in order to obtain God's favor. But the reality is, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That everything we would ever need is found in Jesus alone. So Paul is attempting to persuade the Galatians to live as heirs. Pastor Dave talked about this a few weeks ago. That they are sons and daughters of God. That you're adopted into the family of God and therefore entitled to the inheritance of God. That they don't have to work their way in. They don't have to earn acceptance into God's kingdom. That the moment they place their faith in Jesus, everything changes and their status before God is changed. So Paul goes on and he shares about how difficult this situation is for him and how much it's affecting him physically, how it's bringing him agony and pain. And all Paul wants for the Galatians is for them to know that God wants so much more for us in the Christian life to just trust in Jesus and then spend the rest of our life trying to follow the rules. Paul is sounding the alarm and he's doing so without holding anything back. So if you have your Bibles, and if you're a good Christian, you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to be reading from, (laughs) I'm tired, we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, but it's on the screen for you as well, uh, or for you really cool people, it's in your phone. Um, Don't open Facebook though. All right, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, this is Paul talking to the Galatians, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you come to know God, rather to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? He is not holding back here. Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And so during this section of verses and the next few sections, Paul is going to describe how he's feeling as a result of the chaos and the, and the mess happening in the Galatian church. The first way he describes himself is this, that he is like an exhausted worker who has wasted his time. Have you ever worked really hard on something only to have all your work seem as if it didn't really matter? You spend all day cleaning the house, mopping the floors, then your kid spills his lunch all over the floor, Right? You go out back and you rake all the leaves. God, I hate raking leaves. And your neighbor's leaves blow in your yard the next day. Maybe you're working really hard at a project at work or a proposal at work, and you you work really hard on it, and you go to present it just for it to get turned down. You see, this is exactly how Paul is feeling. He feels that he's put so much effort, so much blood, sweat, and tears into the building the Galatian church, and yet now they've gone astray. They have become distracted and they've forgotten the things that he has taught them. In verse 11, Paul says he's afraid he may have labored over you in vain. He's afraid that he's wasted his time, that he's worked hard for the Galatians for nothing. You see, Paul is concerned because they're replacing their faith with a form of legalism. You see, prior to becoming Christ followers, the Galatians were a pagan people. And so they didn't care at all about God's law. But now there are these false teachers that are rising up in 
Galatia. And they're teaching them that not only do you need to believe in Jesus, but you need to uphold the Jewish law. Teaching them that the Old Testament Mosaic law must be adopted into their practices in order for them to be justified before God. Paul's frustration is understandable because he's saying that earning one's salvation through biblical morality and religion is just as much enslavement to idols as outright paganism. Here's what I mean by that. In other words, the way they're attempting to view their relationship with God, with Jesus plus the law, is just as lifeless as no relationship with God. It's just as lifeless. And so Paul is exhausted. But just because he's tired, he doesn't give up. The second thing he feels, he feels like a good friend who's now regarded as an enemy. Have you ever lost a friend because you told them the truth? I think sometimes we need people in that, in, like that in our life, right? We don't want people in our life that are just willing to tell us what we want to hear. We need people who are willing to tell us what we need to hear. Sometimes the things we need to hear aren't that fun to hear. Are you with me? You see a friend falling into sin and you try to correct them. You, you find coworkers constantly complaining about their problems being everybody else's fault. You speak up when you see someone doing something immoral or illegal even though they think it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes when we speak truth in someone's life, it changes our relationship. Paul explains this in verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eye and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So let's break this down. Paul is saying in verses 12 through 14, remember our relationship. Like, remember how good we had it? Remember how I brought you the gospel and I didn't judge you and you didn't judge me and we partaked in the gospel together and it changed our lives? Remember how encouraged we were? Remember the good times back in the day? We would get together, we'd read the Bible, we'd break bread, we'd have fun. It would be great. All of a sudden now, you want nothing to do with me. All of a sudden, because I preached a little bit of truth to you, you're treating me like an enemy. He says in verse 15, we're so close, it would have given us an eye for each other if they needed it. You know, remember, Paul, his name used to be Saul. And when Paul was Saul, he was a really bad guy. In fact, he was the number one killer of Christians. If you learn about Paul's conversion story, how he came to faith in Jesus, Paul is on the way to Damascus, and he's knocked off his horse. He's blinded by Jesus, and he recognizes that, wow, this Jesus that I'm murdering Christians for is real, and God transforms his life. But it's because of that that many scholars believe that this physical ailment that's talked about here in this verse is that after Paul was healed, his eyesight still wasn't 100%. That he wasn't the same. How many of you guys, when you met Jesus, your life hasn't been the same? And so for Paul, it was his eyesight. And he's saying here that we had such a good relationship that it felt as if you would have given me your eye so that I could see. It's saying, like, we're so close, I would have given you one of my kidneys if you needed it. And yet now it feels like we're so far away from each other. 
Have you rejected me? Paul asks. Just because I gave you the truth. Have you ever ran into someone that at one time you were really close with and it's just awkward? Maybe it wasn't a bad thing. Maybe it was a friend and you guys just grew apart and it's been 20 years and you're running to them in the store or maybe it is a bad thing. Maybe it's someone you had a big argument with or you had a big problem with and you, find, and you come into the same space as them un- unknowingly and you can almost feel that tension in the room. It's like you can cut it with a knife, right? Like that thick tension. That's exactly how Paul feels. Paul could have just said, forget it. Here's the truth and move on. Paul didn't have to get into all, into all his feelings and get into all of his emotions and to make it all mushy. Paul could just be like, well, here's the truth. You guys are wrong and left. But why does he do that? Because he wants to show the Galatians that it's not his message or his ministry that's changed. It's their response to it. Because now they're under the influence of ministers who have a very different message and a very different goal for them. But we'll get into that in just a bit. The third thing. Paul is like an upset mother whose children have left her. See, there's a certain pride that some mothers take in how they can sometimes use guilt to get their children to stay close. It's the old saying of, I gave birth to you, you owe me. (laughs) Or or the one I had heard sometimes, you know, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it, you know. There's a story of an 80-year-old woman who goes to meet with a funeral director with her daughters to to, uh, set up her last will and testament. And she says to the funeral director, I want my ashes scattered in a few different places. I want them scattered near the hair salon. I want them scattered near the nail salon. And I want them scattered near the department store. The funeral director, perplexed by the question, says, why would you want that there? And she goes, because then I'll be sure my daughters will visit at least once a week. (laughs) You see, Paul is using a little bit of guilt here to bring his lost children back to him. Because Paul desires for the affection of his spiritual children, but they have gone and attempted to find affection in other places. How many times does that happen in our lives? When our hearts desire the affection of God, but yet we seek affection from other places. So many of us have people in our life that have been trapped in addiction, been trapped in sin. They've spent their whole life trying to figure out who they are, seeking that affection. But the fact of the matter is we are born with a heart that desires the affection of our creator. It desires the the affection of the manufacturer, if you will. If God knitted you together in your mother's womb, as the Bible says, we come out wanting to know the one who put us together. And so what happens is we spend our life chasing after the cry of our hearts. The Bible says that eternity is written on your heart. And so we spend our lives chasing after the cry of our hearts and we try to fill it with whatever we can. Well, if I just get the right spouse, if I just get the right job, if I just have a big enough this or big enough that, I want to remind you that it doesn't matter of your career, doesn't matter of your life situation. All those things will not bring fulfillment to your heart. The only one who can bring fulfillment to your heart is Jesus. Now, we can get in this position where we feel like if we just do enough here, maybe I'll feel more filled. I don't need God that much. I, don't, I can find my own affection. You don't get to bring any of this with you. You don't get to bring your 401k to heaven, which is a good thing for me because I got nothing, you know. It's like, it's good. I'm happy I don't need to bring that. 
But the fact of the matter is our hearts will chase affection. Verse 17 says this, they make, he's talking about the false teachers, they make much of you but for no good purpose. They build you up for no reason. They make you seem like a big deal for no reason. They want to shut you out that you make, may make much of them. They want themselves to look good. It is always be good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So there's a couple things here in this chunk, real quick. First one, Paul has a few concerns. The first thing is he is worried about losing them. He sees them slipping away. That they are convinced that these false teachers care about them, but they don't. They don't care I don't care if they've got the name pastor in front of their name or doctor or this or that. They've got a TV show or they've got the best-selling book. Just because they're a teacher doesn't mean they're a good teacher and doesn't mean they actually care about you. There are people that will sell you whatever they need to sell you so that you feel good for a moment and that they can reap the benefits. They want to build themselves up. He rebukes them for changing their opinion about him while he's away. He, he's, nothing's changed on his end. He left. These false teachers slithered their way in. And now all of a sudden their relationship with Paul is broken. But he reminds them, or guilts them, <laughs> that they owe his spiritual life to them. He, he kind of reminds them, like, hey, you know, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't know anything about Jesus. Like, I'm the one who brought the gospel to you, yet you get up and you just forget about me. He knows that if there, he was there in person, he could do more, but he couldn't get there in person, and he can't, and he's at a loss. So it's out of these feelings that Paul is charging the Galatians so strongly. He's not mad at them. He doesn't hate them. He's heartbroken over them. It's out of love for them, but we know that love comes with a price. And it's because Paul cares for them that the thought of them going astray brings him so much agony. It's because God has entrusted Paul with them. As pastors and elders and church overseers, we are entrusted by God with you, the flock, to lead, to correct, to equip you for the work of the ministry. And many will assume that being a pastor is an easy gig. Preach a few sermons, say a few prayers, shake a few hands, dunk a couple people underwater. Like, it's an easy thing. But Paul pulls back the curtain here of what it looks like to lead people in ministry. And that, the fact of the matter is it comes with a hefty price. James, the brother of Jesus, says it this way in James chapter 3. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so for Paul, as the pastor or the elder over the Galatians, if you will, his feelings are not something that's foreign to your pastors here at Bayside. You see, it's more than just preaching sermons or praying prayers or shaking hands. It's sitting with the family of the young man who just overdosed on heroin. It's meeting with the couple whose marriage has been ripped apart by an affair it's responding to the teenager's plea for help with their depression and their anxiety. It's praying with a church member who's just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. It's preaching the funeral for a mother who lost her life unexpectedly. 
You see, as pastors and elders, we are entrusted by God to protect the flock. And so protecting the flock means to keep watch over false teachers, poor theology, and schemes of the enemy. And so Paul is attempting to do that in this passage, and that is why it is such an emotional thing for him, because not only is he called to care for these people, he loves these people. He has a relationship with these people. These are the people that he would come back and visit and say, oh my goodness, your kids got so big. Oh my goodness, it's so exciting that your family got baptized. Oh my goodness, it's so great that your father came to faith. These are the things that brought Paul joy. He was not only excited about the growth of the church numerically, he was excited about the people in Galatia, how they were growing in Christ. There's nothing more rewarding as a pastor to see people grow in Christ, to see God transform them before our very eyes. And Paul is so heartbroken because he sees that happening, but he also sees this false teaching rising up in the church that's going to rip it all away. And so he has two things on his heart. The first is his greatest fear. And we, that's what we're talking about, what, how he feels, his greatest fear. His fear is that they are becoming enslaved all over again. The Galatians are losing their first love. They're losing their first love. Their first love is Jesus. I don't know if it was like this for you, but when you accept Jesus, it's like the lights turn on. Oh my goodness, God, you're so good. Jesus, you're so great. And as you grow in the Christian life, sadly what happens is the pressures of this world and the pressure of the Christian culture can diminish how exciting that moment was. I remember when I was young and on fire for God. Why are you not still on fire for God? They lost their first love. Why? Because they began to say, well, this gospel can't be enough. This Jesus thing can't be enough. And they allow this idea that the law, the rules, the regulations, this false gospel, this false religion would sneak its way in. And that says that Jesus isn't enough. But friends, Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He's sufficient for your salvation. There's no need to add to the gospel. It is simple and easy. We recognize that we are sinners, that we've fallen short. We recognize we're in need of a Savior, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He's buried. He's risen again, defeating death for all eternity. We place our trust in Jesus, and we are saved. It's really simple. The devil likes to complicate things. He likes to tell you, well, unless you got everything together, unless you do this, unless you do this sacrament, you follow this rule, you follow this thing, you do this, 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 and this, and then maybe if you're lucky, if you give enough, and if you're good enough, God will give you favor. The devil likes to complicate things. God's pretty simple. He just says he loves you. You know, but what, God, what about, the, no, I love you. But God, what about what I did back? I love you. And there's nothing you're going to do to change that. There's nothing that's going to stop that. There's nothing that's going to hinder that. You might not even believe God exists all the time. And guess what? Still loves you. So Paul sounds the alarm here. He says, don't listen to the false teachers. Don't listen to those who say Jesus isn't enough. Because when you begin to believe those lies, you begin to worship the law. You begin to worship works. You begin to worship everything other than the one who's worthy of your worship. And as a result, you lose sight of the freedom that you have in Christ and you find yourself enslaved all over again. Reminds you of an illustration of a man who's trapped in a jail cell. He's been in this jail cell. He's been held there for a few years. He feels like there's nothing he can do to get out. 
except maybe try to work his way out. He thinks, well, maybe if I just do better, maybe if I'm a better person, maybe if I work harder, maybe I can earn favor with the guards, and then maybe they'll let me out of here. So every day he tries. He tries the best he can. He puts on, you know, he gets out of bed, puts one shoe on at a time, walks with the best foot forward, keeps the chin held high, all those great inspirational things we all say. He believes in the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. He tries to put a smile on his face. He tips big at the restaurant. He goes there, shakes hands, says hello, has good manners, does all the right things, best he can. He tries to do better. He tries to get everything right. Before bed, he says his prayers. Wakes up, says more prayers. Does everything. Keeps his space clean. Doesn't use bad language. Doesn't do all this. Doesn't do that. Tries to be the perfect person he could possibly be. But at the end of the day, he looks ahead and the door is still locked. Nothing he's worked towards has helped him get out of there. But one day, the guards show up at a cell. And they say, listen, there's a man here. Someone who came and he said, I'm willing to trade places with you. He's willing to take your sentence. So we're going to unlock the door. We're going to prop it open. Take some time. Gather your belongings. When you're ready, come on out. And you guys will trade spaces and you'll be off to freedom. All you have to do is walk out. All you have to do is get your stuff and walk out. And for the prisoner, it seemed way too good to be true. Me? I've messed up. I'm not good enough yet. I'm not good enough yet to get out of this cell. I don't have my stuff together enough to start living for God. And so the guard tells the man, take his time. We'll leave the door open. But the prisoner doesn't move. He sees freedom. He sees that the door is open, but he'd rather be enslaved because he still thinks that he's the one who has to earn it. That he's the one who has to do the work. Friends, hear this loud and clear this morning. None of us deserve what Jesus did. None of us earned what Jesus did. None of us should have gotten what Jesus gave us, but yet he gave it to us. He came, he died, he rose, he lives in and through those who call upon his name to be saved. But the the Galatians, in this passage, they'd rather sit in the cell. Sure, they know that the door's open, that someone's come to set them free, but they feel that they still have to do their part. They still have to earn it. They still have to work to it. But Jesus says, just come to me. Just walk out of the cell. The quicker you could recognize that you can't do it, you can't work for it, but instead that Jesus has already done it all, that's the point of freedom. And so for Paul, that was his greatest hope. His hope is that Christ would be formed in them. Verse 19, my little children for whom I I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is saying that he went through the pain of seeing the Galatians come to Christ. He's willing to do it all over again. He will do whatever it takes to see them back on the right track. And so Paul uses this word formed. He says he wants to see them formed in Christ. He doesn't want the Galatians to be dependent on Paul like the false teachers are doing. The false teachers are trying to say, hey, be dependent on me. Follow me. Let me build you up. Paul's saying, no, no, no. I want you to be dependent on Christ because Christ won't fail you. Christ won't fall short. Christ will show up every time. And so Paul uses this image of childbirth, that he's like a mother in the laboring pains of childbirth. The mother does not want the baby to stay in the womb. She wants the baby to come out and live a flourishing life. 
Paul is saying the same thing. He wants them to go and live the life that Christ has allowed them to live. He wants Jesus to take over every aspect of their lives. And so being formed in Christ is this. Living with an awareness of Christ's presence in my life and allowing him to have his way with me. Recognizing, Jesus, you're in my life. This is your life that you're living through me. Have your way. Do what you will. I will follow you. Oftentimes in church, you might hear the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. It often refers to the moment where we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that prayer and ask God to uh, forgive us of our sins and accept Jesus as our Savior. And when you do this, there's a moment of justification, theologians call it. That moment, your status before God changes. You're changed from slave to uh, son and daughter. Slave to sin to free in Christ. When you accept Jesus, it changes everything for you. You don't stop being you. You begin to be transformed into who Jesus wants you to be. If we believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, then that means we need to ask Jesus to be everything in our lives. And so if you're going to get anything out of today's message, it's this one sentence. The best thing that could ever happen to us is for Christ to be formed in us. Having Christ formed in us happens as we make space in our lives to pray and pay attention to God and allow him to do work in us. Some of you guys have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and you haven't really been growing much in Christ in the past couple of years. And maybe it's because you were too busy with all the stuff that we think we have to do that you don't stop long enough to receive what God wants to do. But you will find that the more and more you yield yourself to God, the more and more you will see him work in your life. And so as we close, I want to give you one challenge for this week. It's not to pick a commandment in the Bible and try to obey and keep it. But instead, I would urge you to make some space in your life which you are attentive to God. What does that mean? It means making room so God can move. We like to be directors. God, do this. God, fix that. God, work this way. I want to encourage you this week when you pray to do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. Instead of saying, God, I want this. God, do this. God, do this. Say, God, what do you have for me this week? God, make yourself real to me. God, illuminate me. God, show up. Let me be attentive to you, God. I'm convinced that far greater, fuller, better, more satisfying obedience will result in our lives when Christ is being formed in us. When we say, God, I want more of you and I want less of me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, that's our prayer. More of you, less of us. More of your Holy Spirit, less of ourselves. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continually transform the lives of everyone here today and everyone hearing this message. God, we pray that we would be people that would rely on you, that your Holy Spirit would come into our lives and change us from the inside out. Father God, this week, we ask that you allow us to make that time to be attentive to you. And that when you speak to us in those still, quiet moments, God, that you would refresh our spirit and our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.